Picture a remote, uninhabited Pacific island. It is some 18 kilometers in circumference. The island has five beaches. The interior is covered in thick jungle and mangrove swamps. You are on the shore of the island, up to your knees in warm, salt water. Around you are four or five other people. Friends, family, people dear to you. You are gathering in a large net in which are trapped a handful of fish. There are other people inland, out of sight, busying themselves with other activities. The late afternoon sun is hot and warms your skin. The water on your calves feels cool and refreshing. Your muscles feel alert and strong. You are resourceful. You are courageous. You are with friends, your family, people dear to you. Everyone else has been left behind as far as you can make out. All those that held on have gone. All those that would not share have gone. All those that refused to concede have gone. The details are hazy. You didn't see anything. Maybe it was before your time. The sky is a strange hue of green and red. The bomb did not reach this far. Or the pulse did not reach this far. Or the virus did not reach this far. You turn back and see a boat waiting. A man is stood with one leg bent, wearing black wraparound sunglasses and a dark green shirt, waving at you as the boat throttles its engine and moves away from the island. The scene starts to dissolve around you. You are now in London in the summer of 2017. You are walking along the platform of the Victoria Line at Victoria Underground Station. There are people around you looking fraught, crumpled and inappropriately dressed in office wear. Many people are dragging tiny suitcases on wheels that you can hear grinding and bumping along the floor. You can almost feel them cutting into your ankles. As you walk along the platform towards the way out sign, you see and hear someone complaining to a member of staff about how crowded it is, or maybe it's about a delay. The member of staff replies firmly but calmly that they are waiting for information. The passenger says, I'm not taking it out on you. And then she says this again. And then she walks away, continuing the conversation to herself. Your body is hot and sticky and you try to keep your arms close to your sides, concerned that your odour will seep out from your armpits. Maybe it's not even your body odour that you can smell. 
there is a stumbling lack of rhythm as the crowd funnels into a stairwell. Dum, da-da-dum, da-dum. Always on the wrong foot, starting and stopping. Imagine yourself contracting inwards away from your skin, away from the other people, away from the station. As the corridor opens out into the hallway, you take the opportunity to slide around the people in front of you. You yield like water flowing through the damp, hunched backs. Flowing like a cool, elegant, whirling eddy. Temperate, calm and continuous. Sliding without effort. The others push into each other, clipping heels, slowing down. You take pride in your ability to slide between them up onto the escalator. But they are oblivious to your efforts, not sharing your understanding of what might make all of this work a little easier. People are okay when you get to know them. Likeable, lovable sometimes. People are trying their best with all their imperfections and limitations. They have just been misled or misinformed by other misinformed, imperfect people. Imagine people lined up in vast rows, stretching back and back, generation upon generation. Each person with a whispering voice at their ear, explaining how their parents were wronged by someone else's parents, whose grandparents were denied by someone else's grandparents. But as a group, people are contemptible, never listening, just bumping and muttering. If only we could all be on a sandy beach, say. Then we could really see each other. You take a seat on the southeastern train alone, against the window. The back of the seat is hard and the seat in front of you pushes against your knees. Someone has scratched lines onto the light grey rubber rim of the window. It could be a word. There's an E and a T and the start of something else. But it's hard to be sure. Your breathing is light and shallow, and as you pay attention to this, you notice it makes your chest rise and fall. Your shoulders and head bob up and down. A feeling of weakness seeps through you. You feel inert and mediocre. You are particularly sensitive to other people and your environment. Some might say you're a shy person. You are intelligent and talented, but quiet, and you know how to carefully manage your feelings. You try to hold your body still, lightly as if you are holding a very light but quite fragile vase trying not to disturb the air around you. You use your sensitivity to scan your body. Your breathing is still rapid and shallow. You sigh. Your head feels warm and tight. Now that you are still, you notice an uncomfortable pressure in your temples. Your fingertips feel cool, 
as if heat has been leaking out of them. Your arms feel weak and soft. Imagine the blood inside them becoming thin and watery, like a tap being turned down, the blood flowing in just a little more than a dribble. Your genitals are similarly inert and inadequate. If anyone saw them, they would laugh at their peculiar size and shape, and you would say nothing. Turn your attention to your back and neck. Notice where there is tension. Is there more than one place? Where is the tension strongest? Focus on it. Focus on the pain getting stronger. Imagine it getting brighter and clearer, like a knotted pulsing cramp, a clenched fist deep under your skin. Now turn your attention to the point of your torso at the bottom of your ribs. Picture your stomach as a large bean-shaped sack. Its walls are wrinkled and covered with the tiniest of holes that each descend into thin, deep pits. From the bottom of the pits comes a sticky mixture of mucus, hydrochloric acid and the enzyme pepsin. Leaking into the mulch of food, they break down tissue, digesting proteins. Waves of muscular contractions move along the stomach wall, churning the food. The matter passes down into the duodenum, the short tube leading out of the bottom of your stomach. The waves are continuous now, and the contractions are increasing in magnitude. You feel a slight pain gnawing in your duodenum. Inside are unusual amounts of bile, the dark, greeny-brown liquid produced by the liver, the large organ tucked under your lower right ribs. The bile feeds into your small intestine where it mixes with fresh, unclotted blood. Your respiration becomes more rapid and shallow with frequent sighs. The gnawing feeling intensifies. You're sitting at a table for two in a large hotel lounge, decorated almost entirely in brown and beige. The floor and walls are reclaimed wood. The vast fake chimney is brushed metal, stacked two stories high with chopped logs. Wealthy guests with poor taste sit on the leather sofas draped with fake sheepskin rugs. Opposite you sits a white European man with a high fade and an excessively neat side sweep. He is using chopsticks to pop slices of tuna, crusted with spices, into his mouth as he talks. He is dressed smartly in a casual brown blazer, white shirt and striped tie. He looks like he has been dressed by someone else, or he has learnt to dress this way with just a bit too much deliberation. He takes a swig of red wine which is starting to stain his lips and begins explaining that he is a prophet. A prophet of a prophet. You can't make out exactly what he is saying, 
but from his body language and tone he assumes authority. He seems certain and somehow what he is telling you has its own coherence, even though you know it is wrong and your questions don't come out right or you don't have the facts to hand and you just feel him talking at you, no, through you, as if he is talking to someone else in the room, behind you, over your shoulder, and it just seems that he is looking at you. It is another time and you are standing in a quiet street in East London at night with your partner. You are both walking quickly, talking. And now you see it is not your partner but your ex-partner who you split up with on awkward terms. But you are in a relationship with them still. They have a smartphone in their hand and you can see that they have brought up various message board and comment posts that you have made anonymously on social media. You have written these posts using a profile set up with a pseudonym based on an obscure childhood reference, and they are confronting you. They are asking you about them. Not angrily, but in a confused manner. The way they are talking is annoying you, the way it always annoyed you. The way that they never heard you or understood you, but you do not say anything. It is too late now to say anything. You are sat outside in a mild summer afternoon, in a wood or wild garden, and there is a green-grey river not too far away. Between you and the river is sat a woman playing an acoustic guitar. She is in her late thirties and has light skin and dark hair streaked with grey, quiffed and tied back in a red scarf. She's wearing red lipstick and blue jeans. Her legs are crossed to support her chestnut guitar. Behind her is an older man, her father, although he is less distinct, slightly withered, gray, rectangular. He's talking to you perhaps, but he isn't looking at you. He speaks quietly with some kind of rural American accent about his work as a coal miner. He explains the hard work and how the companies made thousands and thousands of dollars while the workers got almost nothing. As he says this, you notice he seems to be wearing a purple and yellow UKIP sticker on his lapel, even though you are certain that you are in America. The woman starts singing a song in an upbeat country music style. Now daddy can't get his pension or social security Worked 30 damn years in a coal mine feeding welfare families. Struggle hard and hide it well. You sure ain't rich and you sure ain't poor enough to get one little break. Because everything would collapse. Without the hard-working, God-loving members of the American middle class. And then somehow the scene has shifted and she is now sat playing on stage in a conference hall in front of a giant union flag and next to her is George Osborne wearing a charcoal grey suit, white shirt and burgundy tie, and he is saying emphatically, where is the fairness, we ask, for the shift worker, leaving home in the dark hours of the early morning, who looks up at the closed blinds of their next-door neighbour sleeping off a life on benefits. And then, as you try to turn to the person next to you and say that this is wrong, they get up with everyone else in the audience and start clapping, and they can't hear you. 
And it's confusing because even though George Osborne is there, people are talking about the singer, about how they understand them, and how they understand that the state is out of touch. You leave the hall as the applause continues, and you enter a lobby area of the conference centre. You cross the beige carpet towards the delegate table by the entrance to the building. It is a long table with a white tablecloth, with a few uncollected name tags scattered across it and a pile of uncollected delegate packs. A young woman and man are sat behind it in matching navy suits. They stop talking as you arrive. You start to explain what is wrong with the speech and the song, how they are inaccurate, how they are lying almost. The woman apologises and thanks you for bringing it to her attention. She explains that she works for the centre, but that she'll make sure that someone knows you spoke to her. And then she turns back to her colleague and starts checking through the sheets of names. You walk out of the conference centre and find yourself in a huge white gallery space that could contain a three-storey house. Floor-to-ceiling, misted windows flooded with natural light. Maybe this is another time. It seems like another conference. There are groups of people sat around the walls talking, waiting perhaps for something to start. You don't recognise where you are or who any of the people are. They don't look like a typical gallery crowd. They look like perhaps they have returned from a festival. Tired, dirty. You can't work out why you are there, although you notice you now have a large black rucksack on your bag. You put it down on the floor and unzip the front pocket. It is tightly and neatly packed, but you manage to recognise some protein bars a portable stove, a roll of cash, a multi-tool, and some pepper spray. You walk over to a timetable pinned to one of the walls and see what looks like a list of different workshops or seminars that are happening in different parts of the building. Fictional expectation, private public dualisms, the golden horde, tarot reading, Alternative currencies, colonizing Mars, self-defense, SHTF, T-E-O-T-W-A-W-K-I. You look around the room at these strangers, and then up at the windows, where the light is suddenly getting brighter.